Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's Friday afternoon. It is a sunny, lovely day. We have a sunny, lovely guest, and I am really excited <laughs> to hear all about her expertise. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. amazing guest, Kristen Hot. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm I'm excited to hear about my expertise. Too. <laughs> I can talk about Covia all day long, but, but I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, inviting Covia to speak, and um, hello to everyone listening. Well, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then a little bit about Covia? Yeah. Well, thank you. I um, I just joined the Covia family basically September of last year. But I've known about Covia for a long time. I'm a parent of I'm a homeschooling parent and an educator myself. And my children have participated in Eureka Workshop, our, our children's programming, really since the beginning. And so I I didn't really know about the other parts of Covia. I was a Covia parent participant, but I've been in education uh, a long time. I started in Pennsylvania and moved here Been in, in Virginia for the past, well, 30 years, I think now, 30 some years, and mostly in adult education. My bio says I'm a retired 90s drummer, which is true. I have a background in music, um, but mostly I, I'm an engagement <laughs> strategist because I love people and I love talking to people and, and helping people get from point A to point B or, or facilitate learning. So this is a great position for me, helping educators across Virginia know more about what we offer, computer science, and just being able to do things like this. I have to say, I think we might be the same person because I also <laughs> am from Pennsylvania and then moved to Virginia and oh, was a right. musician in a former life. I was oh, not cool goodness. enough to be a nineties drummer. I was more like a clarinetist that went to music school, which, you know, it's like okay. pretty much the same thing. But <laughs> as I was listening, I was like, I think we're meant to be friends. Um, <laughs> we are absolutely. And I have two questions. First, sure. I would love to hear more about what an engagement strategist does. And second, can you just give us an overview of Code VA if any of our listeners aren't familiar with the organization or aren't lucky enough to live in the beautiful state of Virginia? Yes, thank you for reminding me that this is, even though I am focused on Virginia folks all the time, that anyone can be listening. So yes, an engagement strategist, it's kind of like one of those titles where you have to ask. It's because there's a difference between the word outreach and engagement in my mind and in our minds. Um, you know, outreach is so important, getting your word out, making sure people are aware of you, that they have an access point to whatever it is you might be doing, whether you're a nonprofit or a, a dance performance group. But I think outreach sort of pushes information out and hopes maybe that there's something coming back. Um, when you're strategic about engagement, which is really like outreach 2.0, right? It's it's you're reaching out, you're you're making sure you're covering all of your communities and reaching stakeholders, but you're really engaged in that sort of relationship building, not a call and response, but but sort of you're putting the call out and you're really curating and looking at well, what do I expect as a response and where should we be doing these things and prioritizing based on your priorities that could come from, could come from a funder, but it could come from where you see people underrepresented or not participating. So the strategy behind the way you're engaging, you know, it takes time to really develop that plan and, and you set goals intrinsically based on where you're hoping to move the needle. And I think outreach is the beginning of that and engagement really is that next level. So they have me doing a lot of thinking around where we need to be and how we're going to get there in addition to making fun graphics and, and doing cool things like this. Wow. I've never heard that before. I've definitely, obviously I've heard of outreach, but it sounds like outreach is step one and engagement is like 
a boost up. That's really neat. Yeah, it, it actually, it's, it is kind of the next, um, I think there are more engagement strategists out there in, 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 in sales and different things, but I think in the nonprofit world, you know, you really have to be economical with your time and, and your energy and where you're putting your message out and making sure that you're, you are building relationships. So we're really focused on that in a, in a core way at CoVA, whether that's with the children we work with or educators, we want people to feel like they are becoming part of a movement, really, because computer science education and making, building what we call the digital dominion, but making sure that it's CS for all students really is a movement. And so we need people in it to win it. We need them to feel invited and included and part of something. And, and that becomes engagement. Yeah. More than just outreach. I think you've already maybe given us a preview about what you do with Code VA and what Code VA is all about, but can you tell us about that too? Yeah, so Code VA, Code Virginia, is a computer science education nonprofit. So we sort of have, I always, I want to say two sides of the table, but really it's, we have four core things that we do. Um, and the first is that we serve children and youth. We have student-led student led and student-directed programming where students come to learn computer science through play, through creativity. It's arts integrated. We do things virtually, of course, it, more than ever now, but also face-to-face. -face. And we are based in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and so that's where a lot of our children's programming happens when it's face-to-face. -face. And we're at libraries and after-school locations with schools and at our Eureka Workshop location on, on West Broad Street. But at the same time, when we founded in 2013, this other side of the house was focused on delivering professional learning and offering training, really, for teachers in computer science so that they could teach the, the high school level courses that weren't required. But of course, students were asking for and we know, you know, we're, we're, have been around for decades, right? But there were, weren't really professional development opportunities that you know, kind of didn't cost a lot of money, or if you hadn't gone and gotten a computer science degree, how were you going to teach? The pathways just really weren't there. So those two sides of the house were working across the state to help teachers become prepared to teach courses and then, of course, deliver that. And, and that's extended now to, to middle schools where there's electives um, for computer science. The other two pieces really are our research and advocacy work. So we are fortunate enough to have earned a participation in two National Science Foundation grants as of late, um, which is really exciting because it includes practitioner research and we're able to, to do something on a national level with our partners. And we also conduct research inside of the programs that we're doing. Our Eureka program just published something about called Critter Code, and they're presenting at conferences nationally in Virginia and internationally to present really what it means to develop something and then test it and really, you know, put all the things in place for research. So we want to be improving our programs and learning more about what people's experience is. And so research plays a really important part of that. And then of course that allows us to disseminate the, if we have a model, we can then promote that and, and share that with the rest of Virginia. And then of course, nationally, because of the National Science Foundation grant allows us to partner and, and do those things as well. And then our advocacy work, we're part of sort of coalitions. We work with uh, CSTA chapters. So we're advocating inside school community groups and with educators to really take ownership over what it means to be a computer science teacher and inviting new uh, educators to join their CSTA chapters. So not just advocacy, what you might think of in terms of policy or working with our VDOA partners, but also advocating for folks to, to join us in what I said, of course, is this movement. So that's really a nutshell. I know <laughs> it's, it's a lot of things happening. It's a very busy workshop over here, but we, we kind of have something for everyone, our parents and families, educators, 
policymakers and, and administrators and the community. I love that you're calling it a movement and that it's, you know, you're sort of driving it, but you're also inviting a lot of folks on and getting them up to speed. And I know that Code VA has grown quite a bit, pretty rapidly. What does that look and feel like? I mean, you're sort of part of that, right? Because you just came on in September. <laughs> Good job. Clearly that is <laughs> your yeah. work is, is working. <laughs> we had, I think someone would say, you know, like we weren't all like in a basement with like a headlamp tinkering away, but there were about five or, se- five or seven folks for quite a long time. And in the last year, really, you know, we've, uh, I guess it's kind of more than tripled in size, quadrupled in size, almost 30 employees, but there are a host of facilitators of our professional learning, our public school teachers, um, and they are part-time faculty. We have curriculum writers. um, And so while we have that many, you know, almost 30 full-time employees, we've got a host of people around the state who work and and are leading and really are the backbone of of kind of what we're able to provide. So including our part-time Eureka um, teachers and workshop leaders. So we've, we've grown in some ways full-time, which means now we have the capacity to do so much more of this important work. And we are always looking for uh, additional facilitators and we have an apprenticeship program. So look up the little plug there. If anyone's listening and wants to know more about that, absolutely. We're eager to have more teachers coming on and and they're really walking the walk. So the fact that they're leading the, the sessions and the courses is so important to us. And are you looking for teachers in Virginia or teachers virtually that are we are, area. you know, we're sort of homegrown. We, we kind of, I guess mm-hmm. we think of ourselves as we're really building part of this. It's a homegrown movement. Um, these are, it's like for teachers, by teachers, you know, teachers pay teachers. There's that whole, you know, where, where teachers are, are putting what they're making out. But it's really, I think, important for, we think important that when, a, when an educator comes to a professional learning session, whether that's a weeknight after they've been teaching or a Saturday um, or in the summer that they're being led by folks who are also teaching during the day. They're, they've yeah. been in the classroom during the day and they're coming on after a full day. And I think there's, there's a sense of authenticity, but also just, you know, um, they are in the classroom. They're not folks who haven't been in the classroom, maybe five or 10 years who, who may have tons of experience. So it is really fantastic that that can also be, you know, someone can say, well, that's how I got to this position. I was teaching, I was doing things and I came on and became an apprentice. So we absolutely want there to be a pathway, not only for students, but also for educators in the computer science field. Yeah. I I like that role model. I think, I think what you can be for other states is role models, right? So if there's somebody listening somewhere else and they don't see this happening in their state, well, you know, grassroots is a way to go. Start something yeah. and let it grow. And it is that you, it's great that you mentioned that we, you know, code.org that, that some of your listeners may have heard of really founded at almost exactly the same time, right? As, as CoVA. So didn't really know about each other, but it, that happened and code.org is a national organization and reached out to CoVA and we became their first regional affiliate. So there was this sort of melding of the minds, but also, you know, code.org seeing a national movement that needed to happen and CoVA, you know, sort of taking that statewide approach. And, and now there are many more affiliates across the, the country. But I think they publish a monthly, I'm sorry, a yearly state of computer science, science education report. And we contribute largely to that. And you can really look at what it does look like in your state. There are state reports that sort of tell you what the landscape is like, what, how many schools are offering, high schools, for example, are offering computer science, who's participating in it, who's not. 
they sort of talk about, you know, this nine step, you know, policy plan, and you can sort of see what your state has. Um, and that's at advocacy.code.org. And you can look that up and, and, and we share that out as well, you know, because we're a contributor to that information. So you can actually kind of get a sense of what's happening and what's not happening. Um, across the great. I've been wor- I've been looking at that for my field study, the nine steps. So. Yes, yes. Um, Virginia is seven out of nine. Ooh. We are. I, we are. Woo woo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we won't rest until we're one hundred percent right. Um, so you're like eleven I, out of nine. You're like, yeah. Like we made new steps. <laughs> it adds. The math adds up. And and what's really exciting is that the one of the the things that we don't have in place is allowing computer science to satisfy a higher education admission requirement. So you can see that that's that there's this frontier. There's there's so much work to be done inside schools with educators supporting. We have an S, we have SOLs, right? So I mean, I'm, there's so many things to talk about, but we're we're fortunate enough to have computer science standards of learning in Virginia, though we do not have an exam. So people say, oh, well, that's kind of one of those unfunded mandates. And unfunded is, you know, one part of uh, <laughs> that's definitely um, true. <laughs> but but it means that there's less stress potentially on a teacher to be able to meet the requirements of integration, integrating CS into their lessons, um, K through eight, which is the requirement. So that's all teachers, every subject area. It isn't just the math or, you know, it is positioned as a core literacy, um, which is really critical to understand if, if you're an educator in Virginia, that, that you are required, but you are invited to be adding computer science into all the things that you're already doing. And most likely you are already doing those things. Um, you know, if you're talking about sequencing and, and problem solving and, and following steps, that's all part of computer science, right? Debugging is the vocabulary word in computer science, but it really is just, you know, well, what went wrong there? And let's go back and trace our steps. And the critical thinking and the computational thinking that's involved, I mean, that really can be anywhere and in all things, whether that's art class or, or social studies. We have this mandate. Teachers are overwhelmed and, and really, in, in some cases, at the brink, breaking point. But what we're hoping is that this integration will bring some of that, infuse that incitement. Have students love working with robots. They love, you know, playing and creating things on the computer rather than only being consumers. And that really is part of this charge that you're helping your students become producers rather than just consumers of computer science. And and again, our professional learning is free. So when educators come to this, that not only are they hearing from and being led by their fellow teachers, they're not asked to pay. The majority of things happen in the summer. And I digress. I could just go, (laughs) go on about all the things we have, but we don't want people to feel afraid of computer science yeah. and we don't mm-hmm. want there to be a heavy emphasis on that, you know, it's a mandate and a law and it's required because while that is the truth, I think what's more important is that people feel they, they're connected to what it's going to mean for their students and for themselves yeah. to, to gain these skills. When I really love the way you are looking at it and how can we best support teachers and how can we best support students? I feel like sometimes in these conversations, the, they're this narrative becomes it's either what's best for teachers or what's best for students as if teachers are not doing everything that they do with students' best interests at heart and to make the best possible experience for their students. But especially when you're talking about adding new mandates or integrating new things into the curriculum, sometimes the stories that are told, I think most often by people who are not necessarily in the classroom is, well, teachers don't want to do this and they don't care or, and, and so to hear 
about an organization that's so dedicated to supporting educators and students and seeing that that is the same thing and we're all on the same team and moving in the same direction really makes me smile. Yeah, there's a lot to smile about in computer science. I think, um, you know, if you, if you, it, there, but the, it starts with sort of, I mean, I have this, I have this idea, maybe we'll actually do this. Like you're helping me walk down the street, you know, like Billy on the street with a, with a microphone and just ask people, you know, Hey, excuse me, do you know, what is computer science? And just start, uh... just start finding out what people actually think it is. Right. And I think that there are a lot of sort of myths that computer science is for those people. Ooh, or you just hear like, Ooh, um, computer science, you know, your face wrinkles up. It seems hard. It seems, you know, something that, you know, takes too much time. I, I'm just learning how to, you know, use the spreadsheet. I don't want to. And I think what we are hoping is that because we not only think of it as a, a creative endeavor, something where you, you learn, if you learn to code and learn to program. And I've, I just did a little activity the other day where I had to, you know, I was trying to put some things on a pizza and I was failing and, and it was frustrating. And I thought, you know, that's really that point where when you come to professional learning with us, we're getting you beyond that frustration point, but also really talking about how much failure is a part of the success of computer science. That someone told me the other day that successful computer scientists fail 95% of the time and that the average person feels 99% of the time. And I think we are so uncomfortable with that as a society. We don't like how it feels. We don't, we don't like not succeeding. Um, teachers feel uncomfortable with, right? We, we need to get the right answers. We need to show improvement and progress and learning. And that's, you know, failure just is still something that we're not as comfortable with. And computer science really has it as its core. You know, you, you run a program and it might have a glitch. And so then you work on solving what that glitch might be, what that, what's wrong with the program, right? And that's where that really that computational thinking and that problem solving thinking comes in. And if we start really young with kids, you know, they, they already work on, you know, that there's some famous project where, you know, the marshmallow challenge, that's it, the marshmallow challenge. And I don't know if you know about this, I can't remember, there's a video and you can Google, but they, they had like business leaders and CEOs come and do the marshmallow challenge. And it was abominable, right? Sorry, but they couldn't, the teams didn't work. They couldn't build the spaghetti and the marshmallows. Mm. And then they gave it to some like kindergartners and those kids built very high. They worked together. They, they made prototypes and realized, hmm, and built from the prototype. And so the younger you get, I think failure just, unless they're being shamed in some way, Failure is a part of how we learn in the world, right? And, you know, that's hot. Oh, I won't touch that again. And now I'll figure out a different way to get over there and get that cookie, right? So I, I think we really tap into that, this idea that it, we, I know as you get older, it's not as comfortable, right? But that, you know, being in that control position of giving the instructions to the machine, right? Um, what does that need to look like in order for the outcome to be what you desired? And so we need to support teachers to play and to become comfortable because again, they are the ones that will infuse, integrate, bring those opportunities. You know, robots are great, but beyond the robots, there's a whole bunch of unplugged activities that students can be doing where you don't need a computer or an internet at all. And you're still doing computer science. And I think that's, if I go out on the street with my microphone <laughs> and ask people, I'll be sure to say, you know, we're doing computer science right now. You know, we just solved oh my a, gosh. a problem, right? I'm just imagining true or false. You yeah. could do computer science without a computer. Like <laughs> exactly. how many people you'd get with that question. <laughs> or that there are, you know, 700 programming languages. That doesn't even sound possible. What? Wow. You know, I, I, I know, know that, that there are. 
thousands of dialects of a language, but I, I, you know, as soon as, once you learn something like that, now you know it, right? Over 700 yeah. programming languages. N- had Ooh. no idea before I joined Cobia. Why would I know that? Why would most people know that? I want to know it actually, but now we um, all know it. And we, like you said, we can't unknow it. So we all got yeah. smarter we, during this interview. <laughs> we teach Scratch, Python, and Java. So we cover all K-12, but um, we just three out of the 700. I don't, I don't know if we have curriculum. It's, it's like, shh, don't, don't tell them <laughs> there are that many. When you were talking about, you know, the failure and how kindergartners sort of embed that, it reminded me of something Luther Tychonovich has said. He's a, in the CS department of UVA, how CS is an experimentation culture. And oh. so it's sort of like you're in a sandbox, right? So when you're a sandbox, you can build stuff and it can fall over and that's all fine and good because there's so low cost to failing in computer science. There's so low yeah. cost for getting the program wrong because you can fix it like in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and that, but that stays like that doesn't change. You know, this is the same thing when you're taking computer science at the college level and somehow oh. there's people just, I feel like if people got that about computer science, that would be huge. Yeah. And, and think about a student coming from an environment where failure in something could actually, you know, be devastating to then walk into a classroom where, oh no, in here though. And I think that's a hard shift mentally, I think. And so when we think about the underrepresentation of girls in Virginia who are electing to enroll in courses or or maybe steered away, um, we know that sometimes, you know, if if counselors or, or parents or you know, their peers are, you know, well, you wouldn't want to do that because the only they are in there or that's not for you. You mm-hmm. probably want to do. And if you're not self-advocating because you don't see other people who look like you, who, who are interested in the same things as you represented, you, you really, I mean, I remember I want, I should have joined theater, but I just saw those people. Well, they were the ones who do theater. So I never tried out. I didn't, it must've been some internal wish that I, I didn't vocalize because I know somebody might've said, well, Hey, why don't you come to a but I wasn't steered in that direction. And I think computer science absolutely is one of those areas where we're seeing an overrepresentation of, of male students, white male students, white and Asian males. And, and we really need for everyone else in the building to, to have access. And these the SOLs really are designed to do just that, right? If you're starting, if you're starting in kindergarten and you know what an algorithm is by first grade. And you're able to interchange that with the word recipe, for example. You know, mom, we made a recipe, we made an algorithm for cookies and we came up with our own recipe, right? And, and not just vocabulary, but the experiential opportunity. So actually programming that the time it takes to allow young people to make the mistakes and then recover in a small group with each other. By the time they get to middle school where those electives start, they'll just be, you know, we don't have an elective. You know, there are so many schools that just don't have them, right? They're and so when you get there, you want the students and the parents saying, hey, we, we're, you know, where's our intro to coding? Where's our game design, right? Um, those are classes students could be taking. So right now, there's a lot of students who get to the high school level. That's where the course is. It seems like, ooh, that hard math. And we really are looking at, again, it's, it's revolutionizing the way people will engage in computer science as a continuum of experiences and exposure and knowledge. And then with our, you know, folks like Amazon and Micron and, and Google and, and folks who are really pushing money into communities to help develop the, the, some of those opportunities, we're fortunate enough to be funded by a, a, ver- a variety of generous partners. 
RCS Ready program has Amazon Future Engineer as a funder, and, and that's a Title I um, focused initiative. It's not exclusive to Title I, but it is a Title I focused and high need school focused initiative. We really are very, very interested and very, we're really laser focused on making sure that everyone has a seat at the table. And, and that's just crucial because, you know, we, we, we don't want to end up where the revolutions happen and where we have people on the outside who were never brought to the table and, and, and it, the, the assurity that the equity was there for them. Oh yeah. I, I mentor a junior in high school and she's absolutely incredible. And the first day we started working with robotics, she got really upset and told this story. And she said, when I was in, when I was younger, only the kids in the gifted program were allowed to use robots. And we had to watch them stand up and we watched them leave and we knew exactly what they were doing. And they came back and they were all smug and they were telling us the stories. And she said, I'm a junior in high school. I've never programmed a robot before. This is the first time I've ever touched a robot. And she's so smart. She's so gifted, if that's the term that we're using, and mm. has just latched onto it so fast. And it was incredible the way she had made this decision that robots were not something that she was going to be able to experience because she wasn't right. a gifted kid and didn't get to go to that classroom. Right. And so I've never heard anyone describe SOLs as a way to increase representation and equity mm. and access. And I love that as someone who has maybe done a little bit of fighting with SOLs over my education <laughs> career, it is lovely to hear them described that way. And to know that there's a lot of good coming out of them too, that more kids are having access, that SOLs mean it's not just gifted classes. It's not just pull out right. programs, but everyone is getting that experience. And I will tell my mentee that the next time I see her, I'll be like, had this conversation. Every kid's going to have robots yes. and she's going to cheer. It'll be great. <laughs> I think what you just said about the SOLs sort of, and people having tension around those, right? Um, with, with computer science as a subject area and as a field, and I think the guidance is, is essential. I think they really serve this, the, 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 maybe the purpose they were intended to be there for or create in the first place. If you don't know where to start, if you do not know anything about computer science, much less really what it is, because it's not the computer and the hardware and the right? It's, it's this way of thinking it is programming. It includes programming, but it's not, it's not synonymous with programming, right? You've got to start somewhere. And so, you know, CoVA has professional learning, but teachers needed a place to look, okay, what in my grade are, should students be able to do what's appropriate? What, where are the resources? So the curriculum frameworks that go along with that and, and people on our, our team were involved in that. I think it really does mean that you have a place to turn and say, you know, oh, that sounds a lot like what I already do, but this is the vocabulary for that. Oh, I can do that. We hear over and over again, teachers sort of having those aha moments saying, but I, oh, you're right. I do do this. Oh, my students are going to love, oh, you mean now we can get together and write a grant and maybe get some, re you know, and, and our hope is with things like the CS Ready program too, that we're really hoping that the community will become more involved in the schools in that way, right? So if you have businesses in your community who would love to have the workers <laughs> coming to them afterwards and they have a vested interest in helping students have this exposure and actually want to choose and help develop the programs that they have at their school, you know, it, this separation of sort of community and school and business and schools, I think this could be a nexus for really helping to break some of those barriers down. I'm excited to, to see all the STEM nights and things happening 
which is really, really great. But only a part of that is computer science, right? I mean, we've been saying things like STEM or, you know, it's STEM. We are, we're part of STEM, but it's not STEM plus C, you know, but, you know, just in saying CS, most people, what is that? You know, you have to sort of say it out, computer science. So at some point, people will just know what the answer is to what is computer science. They'll be able to show examples of how they're using computational thinking and whatever it is they're doing. And it won't be so scary. I mean, Covier definitely has a vested interest in making people feel the excitement. I mean, I, I, I get to go around and say things like, you know, uh, there are about 40,000 jobs open in computer science that aren't filled every month in Virginia. And though the average salary for this is about $106,000. So I can talk to a counselor and say that. And say, very no, who, compelling argument. <laughs> right? Like, who do we want? You know, like, who, who, who are you promoting to consider taking these courses, getting ready? And if you haven't been promoting a group, this group or that group, why, why is that? And who, who deserves those jobs? Who should be prepared for those jobs? And again, our, our K-12 system is hopefully really is meant to develop, you know, well-rounded humans and folks who have opportunity and see the opportunity that they have. I know that we struggle sometimes with competing priorities, but this certainly is. The opportunity is there. The future, it's the literacy of the future. And so if our kids are leaving school, never having programmed because, you know, it's not a graduation requirement in Virginia. Some, there are about three states, I think, that have computer science as a graduation requirement. So you must take a computer science course. Virginia doesn't have that. Virginia has computer science courses that count towards graduation, right? So it's a very important distinction. And so again, in that distinction, it's not a requirement that you take a course to graduate in a computer science course, but we need everyone having access to, and certainly if you're starting in K through eight, where all of that's being integrated, they're more likely to choose a computer science course. And, and who knows what the computer science courses will end up looking like if everyone, right? Right now, we, we're, it's very foundational at the high school level. But if everyone's coming through and you know, maybe some of that, those languages will just start earlier and, and we'll have to develop brand new classes to really meet the skill level of students. Now that is a revolution, right? <laughs> Where students will just be teaching other students and, you know, I mean... Oh, I love, I love your vision. I think we both love uh, your vision. Yes, absolutely. So I think what would be great to wrap up with is if you've captured somebody else's interest, whether they're a teacher, a student, or a parent, what are next steps that they can take with Code VA? Well, anyone can reach out to me anytime with any question, and I'll make sure you get to where you need to go. So that's the easiest one, Kristen Hot. I, I married Mr. Hot, and so I became Mrs. Hot uh, <laughs> 22 years ago. I've been hot for 22 years. My only job. Hot for 22 years. Oh my gosh, that's so that. embarrassing, but it is my last name, um, and you won't forget H O T T. Um, and I'm just Kristen K R I S T I N H O T T at codevirginia.org. But you can go to codevirginia.org and we have a direct links to our student programming, which is called Eureka Workshop. And they're online. And, and you know, we just offered a whole host of, of programming this past week, many um, around this area, spring break. And, you know, tens of students were, were engaged in person, face to face, all the way up to our high school level. Um, we had a cloud computing program today. So exciting. So there are online things for people in California and Arizona and everywhere internationally, but locally um, in the greater Richmond area, we have things happening at libraries. So it's not just coming on a, on a weekday for out of school time things. And then educators, same thing. You the click on the educators tab and we have summer, summer registration is open. 
this year is really exciting because we have live synchronous courses and it's the it's June 20th to July 29th. So it's about six weeks. We have live synchronous. We have some asynchronous modules. So that means you can literally be on the beach and then working it at 3 a.m. in the morning whenever you want and some on-demand options as well, facilitated on-demand recordings. And there's really something for really everybody, whether you're an administrator, a counselor, an ITRT or, or a technology resource instructor, grade level. We have a new praxis pilot out right now. So we're really even thinking about the micro-credentials and the, and the endorsements added to, to licensure. Um, so you're going to find all that information, including more about our research that we're doing right now at codevirginia.org. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. This was amazing. Thank you. Your enthusiasm is contagious. I'm like so excited now. Oh, well, we're going out for drinks after this, right? Let's do it. Yeah. That was part of the, the, you know, where are we meeting? (laughs) It's the next step of the interview process. Yes. 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 Well, this has been a pleasure. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, again, I just thank you so much for letting us, letting me talk about the things that we have going on, but more importantly, what, like I, we all believe here, it really is a movement and this, your podcast is another way to help people sort of find a way into topics that they, they maybe don't have the time to read about, you know, podcasts are so wonderful. I'm sure, you know, folks have been awakened to new priorities and, and new issues that exist in the world of computer science that maybe they just weren't aware. We're we're focused a lot on inclusion and and students with disabilities and making sure that the computer science is accessible. That's the, you know, they're really one of the the tough nuggets right there that a lot of the programming languages really are not accessible. Students with dyslexia, vision impaired, you know, the screen readers don't work well. And so there are some initiatives out there where people are focused on that. There's something called the accessibility pledge, CS for all, but, you know, we also care very deeply about that. And so, you know, there's, there's so many ways to get involved and we hope people will come to us, not just for their professional learning, but also to offer and get involved in this movement. So thank you so much, Kim and Sarah. And once upon a tech, we'd love to come back anytime. Sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Until next time. <laughs> Ciao. Tech, love, and happiness. <laughs> <laughs>